Today on our show, we cry freedom about that film about that outlaw in Scotland. No, not the one with Mel Gibson. In the new one, The Outlaw King on Netflix, we also dive into our favourite ideas of films that mash up between two characters. Think Aliens vs Predator, but it's actually good. And finally, we review The Haunting of Hill House, which literally scared the crap out of me. In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions. Talk Filmy to Me. Hello, welcome to the Talk Filmy to Me podcast, a film podcast about news, entertainment, general pop culture. It is the podcast that realises it shouldn't be throwing stones in glass houses when it comes to politics being in the UK. So we're not going to talk about Brexit or anything to do with the political iceberg that is our shitstorm of a country. Anyway, that aside, speaking about my iceberg, I'm going to introduce you my co-host for this evening. Uh, you may know him as John, I know him as Deska, or you may know him as the collaborator of Lucky Dust, the album you can find on on uh, Spotify or iTunes or where good music streaming services are. John, how are you, sir? Amazing. I'm enjoying all the royalties that your promotion of my album gets every week. I've made at least five pence this month. <laughs> I'm not even joking. That's the sort of Spotify handout you get these days. Yeah, I've, I read somewhere that Lady Gaga is like the most streamed artist of all time. Like you're talking billions of plays. And she gets something like a few thousand dollars a year. Like it's it's actually pathetic what the actual artists get from these services. Yeah, they haven't quite ironed that out yet, have they? The films, film doesn't. Uh, the films are doing all right though. The uh, equivalents of Netflix, Amazon Prime, they seem to be doing just fine for money. Well, Netflix do make it rain in terms of all that sort of stuff. Actually, speaking of streaming services, did you hear that Disney have actually unveiled their their service in terms of it's coming for next year? They've, is it Disney Plus? Disney. Yes, yeah. So the idea of it is going to be... They've only announced the, the Star Wars stuff, as we spoke about last week, and um, also announced the Marvel TV shows, but also all the um, Disney b-movies so you remember stuff like uh the lion king 2 uh, aladdin 3 all that sort of stuff they're going to cram all that in there as well um i keep saying oh it depends on price and you know what how much money netflix puts into their economy for original content and see i'm gonna fucking buy it let's face it anyone who's got kids is gonna buy it. anyone who's nostalgic is gonna buy it look let's just cut the middleman out and just accept it we are all <laughs> getting disney plus <laughs> at some point surely yeah i'm not sure about the name Disney Plus. Uh, Disney's big enough. Just call it Disney. Don't have to give it a plus. Just Disney. Well, Google didn't Google kill Google Plus recently, and uh, maybe they're like, ah, oh, yeah, the, the plus name works out so well for them. Mm. Who knows? But anyway, should we crack on with our first review this week? I'm done with running, and I'm sick of hating. Power is making decisions, and whatever course you are charting, I choose you, my husband. Scotland. Outlaw King, it's a Netflix original movie, it's got quite a stellar cast, it's got some real pedigree in terms of uh, of the, the screenwriter in this as well. Basically, this film is set in medieval Scotland shortly after the events of William Wallace, however it does not want to be known as the sequel to Braveheart, but inevitably you do kind of think of it as a sequel to Braveheart, where it focuses on Robert the Bruce, who is played by Chris Pine. Not only does it share a resemblance to the Oscar-winning film in the early 90s with Mel Gibson, of it obviously being a sale of Scotland up, uh, opposing the English, but also it's got a lead American actor coming over, taking on the an iconic Scottish role, 
trying to put on the accent obviously a big stellar cast is in this as well so basically this film is set shortly after the events of uh, of what happens to William Wallace and about how Robert the Bruce's family are uh, forced to sacrifice their uh, their land their people and their duty um, to the English and uh, basically they're not quite happy about this and uh, shortly after the death of Robert's father he takes the reins of the family and you learn that eventually uh, you know history ensues if you know your Scottish history from that. Uh, John, are you interested in this sort of thing? Is this sort of film you're you're down with? I bloody love it, mate. I was, you know, I always sold anything like this. You can kind of think of this as a sequel to Braveheart. Uh, and the film actually does a really good job of being historically accurate, which is refreshing. Um, no kilts, of course, because there were no kilts uh, or Scott, they did not wear kilts, un- unlike Braveheart would have you uh, assume. So um, <laughs> if you're interested in that sort of thing, no kilts, I'm afraid. But um, yeah, it was really interesting. I really inter- It's worth checking out Robert the Bruce's actual face, okay? Because they managed to find his body in a coffin and kind of restructure what he would look like. And I hate to disappoint you, but he looks nothing like Chris Pr- Pine and... They've done him a lot of uh, <laughs> favours by portraying him as someone as dashingly handsome as Chris Pine because he's an ugly fuck, is how I describe him. But um, <laughs> no, I do appreciate the historical accuracy of this film. Um, yeah, I'm always sold on this sort of movie, especially when it kind of tries to uh, be as accurate as this has been. Very true. One of the things I really enjoy about it like you say, the historical accuracy, cultural appreciation, whatever you want to call it. I love um, the attention to detail on that. So um, early in the film, uh, and this is no spoiler, Robert the Bruce has to has to marry into, I think it was King Edward's goddaughter, and um, they have a, a Scottish medieval wedding ceremony. And it's the weirdest fucking thing you'll ever see. So basically the bride and groom lie flat on their stomachs in their, in their gowns, <laughs> and they basically... Late, put like a blanket over them and do the bumps. And uh, as crazy as that sounds, that's a traditional medieval Scottish ceremony. And they they done that in the film. It's kind of weird. And also, um, during the ceremony, uh, you know, the, the wedding breakfast afterwards, um, they basically tell them both, right, you both must go to bed now and we must make sure that you, you do go to bed and someone will sit outside your room to make sure that you consummate the marriage. And there's a reason why they went into this sort of detail is because um, back then, um, when you everyone was very, very religious and when you pledged your allegiance to King Edward, you you done it under the in the house of the Lord. You done it under in your religion. So to betray that, that oath you have made to to the crown now, whether you like to or not, that is breaking an oath. That is breaking your contract with God. So it adds more gravitas when when Robert does convince his brothers to, uh, you know, spoiler alert, uh, go against the English, that you understand the gravitas of why they're doing this because their whole life, the whole... I mean, the average age... Um, the average age of life expectancy of someone at that state is is 35 and um, so the the vast majority of their lives they would have been completely held in by their religion so it's interesting how they they pulled on that I thought in this film yeah definitely there was a lot to like about this movie I think as 
you know, it's the kind of movie, it's a lot of action, a lot of bloodbath. Uh, you could be benefit from watching on a big screen, to be honest. But, um, I mean, as far as the gore, did you find it a little too much? Like, the battle scenes, they were obviously, you know, go hard or go home, I felt was kind of the approach. Um, sometimes, you know, when there's so much of it, it kind of gets boring, though. Did you kind of get to that or did you enjoy seeing countless uh <laughs> I, I found it horrible quite, ways I, to die i quite enjoyed it and the reason why i think i quite enjoyed it maybe subconsciously is that you'll you'll go back and watch this film now and think fuck he's right there's so many people from game of thrones in this film <laughs> yeah like, literally it, they could have done it put your hand up if you've died in a horrific scene in game of thrones because pretty much everyone who dies in game of thrones gets a gruesome death so mm. you're already in that state of mind of, well, they're all on horseback, they're all out in some amazing-looking landscape, and they're all from Game of Thrones, apart from... It's, it might as well be called Chris Pine with Game of Thrones. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, you're kind of used to it. It's basically the Battle of the Bastards, just times ten, you know, in terms yeah. of uh, the scenes you saw. Um, I, I really enjoyed this film. I thought Chris Pine was brilliant in this. Like I, I It usually brushes up against me when... Um, you know, it's a oh, this Americans coming over to do an English accent or a Scottish accent or or whatever. Look, you know, we we do it all the time. A lot of Brits go to America and take iconic roles. Why can't it be done more the other way around? You know, that's hence why I think Bond could easily be, uh, a, you know, US, Australian, whatever. It doesn't really matter as long as they they get the character right. And I think Chris Pine, uh, Pine does a great job in this. Yeah, I think he he does a uh, a good job. I would say. I mean, the. They definitely. I have some criticisms of the film. Would you like to hear them? Yeah, go on, then, John. Hit me a bit. What's your <laughs> What's the, the downside from John? It. I mean, some of the writing and portrayal very clunky. Um, the English are like Braveheart, kind of uh, represented to be complete bastards, immoral yeah, bastards, were. and the Scots kind of shining happy uh underdogs and i mean that's it's a nice filmic way to represent it but the actual you know the young uh, villain in this film who was going for a massive joaquin phoenix gladiator kind of portrayal oh, i feel like um he his character was not as much of a bastard as he's portrayed to be in this movie and equally i mean robert the bruce i don't think was quite the hero as this film would portray it to be uh, so it, it kind of goes a bit black and white where uh, missing off the large amounts of grey area, which kind of annoys me, but I understand they've got to make a movie and it is does kind of lend itself. It, you know, it's nice to be able to root for a hero and whatnot, even if it is against us bloody Brits, bloody English, I'd say. Um, so, I mean, that kind of got to me. There is also at least three moments where someone's about to die they've got about a minute oh i'm gonna die but i'm gonna say this really coherent clear sentence this poignant <laughs> sentence and then i'm gonna die straight after it's like i don't know it got a bit old what you know people don't say that on their deathbeds they say look after mum <laughs> i don't know 
Yeah, I agree with you to that point. Like everything was a bit too overacted. Um, yeah, it felt like every scene had to be almost Shakespearean in terms of uh, the dialogue. And yeah, how true is this to historical events? We'll we'll never know. But um, well, we'll probably have a better idea anyway um, than than some people. But still, I yeah, I agree with you. Of yeah, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. I I did enjoy, like I said, I did enjoy Chris Pine in this. I enjoyed the supporting cast in particular. And um, I don't know how relevant to the story is, but I felt that certain people would die really quickly in this film. So like, um, there's actually an underlying uh, vendetta between two families, between the Bruces and I can't remember the name of the other family. And there was a really interesting narrative point of how actually if we unite together we'll have 10,000 men to potentially take on the English with and you know reclaim our birthright and all that sort of stuff and and that gets literally written off within 30 seconds of this film uh and I, yeah, I don't want to spoil how that scene happens but I was just like oh okay that was a bit weird and uh timing's a bit bit weird of that as well but um and there were some other things it didn't kind of I agree with you about the whole English thing so there's one scene in particular where um when King Edward is speaking to um, one of the families uh, when he's gone up to visit Scotland. And they're like, oh, my family have been uh, here for generations and it's my birthright to be the, the lord of this castle. And he's just like, get out. No, you're not anymore. And if I see you again, I'll kill you. And it's just like a, oh, we are just moustache-twirling bastards in this film. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah that, that might be true to historical events, right? Um, I, I did enjoy this. What did you make of... I can't remember the lady's name, the, the, god, the goddaughter who ends up marrying Robert. I thought, yeah, she does a great job. She actually, in, real, in the actual story, she's 10 years sort of his junior, so I think they cast it quite well. She is very young, probably about... The actress, actress probably about 20, but she's obviously meant to be quite young. Uh, I think she does a great job. She's kind of uh, a ballsy female role. Um, that's obviously in those days, <laughs> yeah. you had to be a bit ballsy. Well, speaking of ballsy, John, this is the film that will forever be known as the time we saw Little Chris. Did he disappoint? Little Chris... Well, he gets naked in this film. Did you not? Did you? Did that whole go? But <laughs> like, it was proper like news. Uh, believe it or not, it was a bit dark, wasn't it? I couldn't see any um, wangage. If sorry, I don't know why I just said that, but that's the word I've gone with. I'm going to persevere. <laughs> you, you persevere. I did not see any wangage. No, no. So, so people that are going in this hoping to, because uh, it did get loads of press. Believe it or not, like it was proper like news of oh, Chris Pine is going to go full frontal in this film, and people were like talking about it for ages. And uh, yeah, hmm. it made me laugh that you know this story about Robert the Bruce um, is getting. Uh, completely just told as the Wang movie for for Chris Pine, but uh, but yeah, <laughs> you can, if you've come here looking for your for your full pickle, then this probably isn't the film for you. <laughs> yeah, you'll be disappointed. It kind of felt like I'll oh, just throw the medieval sex scene in. Why not? You know, bonus. But um, it didn't exactly add a whole lot. But I mean, last my last uh, thought about this movie. Oh, I can't remember. Sorry, carry on. I've forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> That's okay. So I was thinking, not many films depict um, Scottish history, right? Not many mainstream films. Like I say, inevitably you compare this to Braveheart, and I'm sure there's been a few others splattered around since then. But inevitably, you can't help but think of maybe Monty Python. There were some scenes filmed in the castle of the clopping horses and all that sort of thing. But do you think that this is gonna? Because it shows Scotland 
beautifully, you know, amidst all the the Battle of the Bastards like scenes. Like it's a beautiful country, and and kind of like how Lord of the Rings was for New Zealand. Uh, I think this film could be for for Scotland if it was more on a general cinematic release. We'll be like, oh my god, this is showing this beautiful country, you know, literally on on the UK's doorstep, but also for the world to come see. Do you think this is gonna be held up in the same regard as Braveheart? Um, no, because Braveheart. <laughs> I don't know. I think Braveheart just had came around at the right time, and I think this is obviously trying to be. I mean, it, it has huge inspiration from Gladiator. I thought uh, a lot of the characters, but I don't think any of the characters really lived up to the the, the Gladiator equivalent. So you got Maximus. I mean, Chris Pine's character wasn't quite a Maximus, and the villain wasn't quite a. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix and it didn't quite have the payoff at the end um, so I don't think it's I mean it is it shows Scotland off to be lovely yeah but um, I mean it, it, it's good and it's interesting but it, I don't think it holds up to Braveheart or, or Gladiator or some of the other epics no, fair enough. I mean, he's directed by a gentleman called Dave McKenzie. He directed a film called Hella High Water, where he actually worked with Chris Pine before, which actually is a really good drama, and I highly recommend that one. I don't think uh, I don't think Outlaw King quite meets the heights of Hella High Water, but this is still quite a good film, in my opinion. In terms of Netflix originals, um, this is kind of one that Netflix purchased rather than made from scratch but still it's under netflix original banner and um, it's definitely up there as one of the better netflix originals and um, for me i'm thinking three out of five what's your your take on that john i i'm definitely a firm three as well definitely if it sounds up your street if you like braveheart watch this think of it as a sequel you will enjoy it you'll find it interesting if you don't think it sounds interesting, maybe don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. If, medie- if medieval Scotland is your thing, then three out of five, it's not bad. Give it a go. I do not care. So long as you fight! News. Okay, we're going to have to acknowledge this. Um, obviously, anyone who listens to this podcast knows I'm a massive Marvel fan. Um, and we've got to pay homage to this. Um, unfortunately, for those of you who don't know, um, Stan Lee, the creator of Marvel, uh, one of the creators of Marvel, he did work with a, an ensemble team, um, unfortunately passed away at the age of 95. Um, for a lot of people, Stan will mean lots of different things. Uh, to a younger generation, they'll probably just think of him as that old guy who keeps having cameos in films. Uh, to other people, he'll be known as that guy who used to introduce the, the X-Men cartoons uh, on a Sunday morning. And for some people, he was the guy who wrote the comic books that inspired this whole world of, of pop culture we know now. Um me personally, um, I was first exposed to him when I was a very young boy. I remember watching Cartoon Network uh, early in the morning and there was a Fantastic Four um, cartoon and there would be this old man that used to always introduce it and be like, hello, true believers, well, this is what's going to happen. And then he'll tell you about basically massive spoiler alert tells you what happens in the cartoon and uh, would always finish off by calling everyone true believers and to and to come back next week and um, I it was only in later life when I started watching the Marvel films that I realized oh my god this guy created not just worlds the universe um, and yeah it's, it's an absolute crying shame that he's no longer with us um, but 
he was so prolific for a period of about 30 years he was writing some of the most amazing characters producing some great work there was a time that he fell out with marvel believe it or not he was actually suing them um because of uh because of you know damn old creative differences and and divorces and everything else in between of that but um obviously they made up and uh, we got the stand the man cameos as, as we know in his later life um john i know obviously you're not much of a comic book guy but uh, but what's your your thoughts on this well obviously uh, a legend I, I just think it's nice i mean he, he was 95 and he managed to bow out seeing his sort of legacy uh at, at it's you know as as high a peak as it's ever been really marvel was such a massive uh massive inspiration and legacy and you know at the moment superhero movies have had their moment for many many years so i think it's he must have left this world a very satisfied gentleman that's all i'm saying yeah not many people get to be uh, acknowledged for their genius while they're still here and uh, over the years, I mean, he's the man of the conference. Like, he will be at every comic convention, uh, every nerd convention, every panel. He will be there in or thereabouts. And he will always stick around right until the last moment. He will sign anything. He will be there for fans. And a ton, like a massive outpour has happened on social media for him. And rightfully so. The name was, rest in peace, Stan, was trending for a good two days. Lots of variants of that. Everyone had nothing but homage to pay to the man. And one of the ones that I love reading was um, was actually from Benedict Cumberbatch. He plays Doctor Strange in one of the Marvel films. And he said, oh, I remember um, I was uh, at a convention with Stan and he he uh, he stuck around till they were physically closing the venue because he was signing stuff. And I went and gave him a hug and said, um, that's amazing. And uh, apparently he's he's very sharp as a tack. Every interview you ever hear with Stan, he's very witty. He's very just uh, always finds a, a funny, humorous way of, of describing stuff. And he says to Benedict Cumberbatch along the lines of, um, you should stick around, mate. You can make a load of fucking money. And he, the truth is it was never about the money. Obviously, he's a very, very wealthy man. It was about being with the fans. It was about being... Being, being part of uh, part of that culture, that heartbeat. Um, there's a really interesting interview I read um, with his wife. Unfortunately, his wife passed away a year ago, and um, she would say, "Oh, everyone knows Stan as this amazing comic book creator, and rightfully so. Um, but actually, he's an amazing poet. Um, he never, I don't, as far as I'm aware, he didn't really publish his poems. It was more just something between him and his wife. And she would say that his his poetry was incredible and any advice he would always give to people would be read and write and practice. And there's something to be said about someone who is so prolific, still preaching the craft, still preaching, look, you get good by practicing, you get good by by doing. So just keep doing it and you never stop learning. And that that innocence to make the world a bit of a better place, uh, it came across in these comics. And, you know, that old homage of with great power comes great responsibility. He coins that phrase and he he took that seriously. He's got, he had great power to influence uh, a lot of young people. And he inspired, if you think of some of the best script writers now, if you think some of the best comic books you like or the best TV shows, I guarantee you they all would have been influenced by, by Stan in some size, shape or form. They would have either met him at a conference where he gave him some words of inspiration 
inspiration or they they physically followed one of his uh, characters he created and um, i promise you somewhere in stan's back catalogue of stuff he's made there's you find your representation in there you find that little bit of you and that commonality unites everyone that's why there was such an outpour to him so yeah i'm absolutely gutted but you know to john's point Let's just smile that the dude graced us with his presence and uh, and he, he will live on forever. We don't know who wrote the Greek myths, um, but we know who wrote our mythologies and uh, he will be known forever, I think. And and good, good for that. Sorry, John, I went a bit Well deep said, Flinny. That was quite, yeah, it was quite a dedication. Anyway, I'm not move. crying. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's talk about like, <laughs> like films and shit. So anyway, Toy Story 4. Um, the teaser trailer dropped for that the other day um, I, I, I'll be honest a lot of people are hyped about this but I was pretty disappointed with this teaser trailer so basically for those who haven't seen it it's only about a 30 second clip of all the toys uh, basically holding hands and falling over and uh, you just hear a quick bit of their voices but it ends with a new character they're introducing going to be called Forky and uh, the synopsis uh, was also released at the same time or a teaser synopsis yes we're in those sort of worlds now where basically a toy isn't just something you purchase in a shop a toy is whatever a child uses to make believe play with and uh, this obviously Andy has grown up and there's this new little girl I can't remember the girl's name she is now the main character and she made a toy out of a spork and calls it Forky. And all of a sudden, Sporky's alive and he's, he, he he doesn't know what to be. He doesn't know what to do. Obviously, there's going to be an interesting theme here, I think, of representation, about knowing oneself and where you fit in with the world and all that sort of thing. So I can't... I, I love the idea of the story. I just think the spork looks fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw, the, I saw the trailer where they're all flying across the screen and great to see the old gang back together it kind of felt a bit like oh oh we're on our fourth one oh we need to introduce something uh what should it be clutching a little bit at straws but if you pardon the uh cutlery pun there nah. but i think i don't know i'm i i'll withhold judgment do you remember when twitter doubled its character count and everyone went oh fucking oh what this is stupid and now no one no one says that everyone's like oh of course it should have doubled that's the right move so I'm, I'm hoping i'll look back and be like no they shouldn't have kept it a trilogy they should have kept making toy stories for the rest of my life so i can keep enjoying it but uh, yeah, put the purest in me wants it just to be a trilogy, and it's about look, you've you've made an amazing trilogy, and uh, and just leave it there. But look, the people that write these films, they don't just churn out any old crap, right? For this to get over the line, like read the film, uh, read the book, uh, Creativity Inc., and you'll find out all of the problems that happened with Toy Story Two. They actually made an entire sequel to Toy Story that never got released uh, because it wasn't good enough. And they, it cost them a load of money and they had to really crunch to get it done. But they went and remade Toy Story 2 pretty much from scratch because it wasn't good enough. They wanted to bring the best product to us and tell the best story. So for this film to see the light of day, and it's got to be good and it's got to be Pixar good. So I I am similar to yourself. I will I will sit there with bated breath to see what, uh, what comes in. But anyway, another trailer that drops. And on paper, this film does not appeal to me whatsoever i do not uh, i wasn't 
I wasn't at the right age when Pokemon came around. Um, although I enjoyed the games, I didn't really watch the TV show. And the concept of this film is basically, it's a world where Pokemon exists. We're in the Pokemon world. And uh, someone partners with Pikachu to basically solve a crime. And you go, oh, I'm not really that bothered. And then you go, Ryan Reynolds is going to voice Pikachu. And you go, okay, you've got my curiosity. Now, after seeing the trailer for this, they definitely have got my attention. Um, the trailer for Detective Pikachu dropped. And th- some people were losing their shit over seeing Pokemon like animated in a live action style. Um, I thought it actually, and after seeing this trailer, I really am excited about this film. I don't know why, but there's something really charming and just fun about it. Have you had a chance to see this one? I've seen a brief, yeah, I've seen a brief trailer and heard the Ryan Reynolds news. I've kind of resigned myself to the fact that Pokemon is probably going to be in pop culture and be in my face for the rest of my life i've always hated pokemon and every few years pokemon go or some other pokemon shit rears its <laughs> ugly stupid head and and now they've attached ryan reynolds genuine talent to it i don't know is it like when sonic the hedgehog has got a speaking role uh in the cartoons and it just ruined it for everyone everyone's like no well, that's not right that. man there is a Sonic film in the works, actually, and uh, John Ralphio from Parks and Rec doing the voice of Sonic. But anyway, that's for another time. Um, this film, uh, I, I'll be honest, uh, like I said, on paper, I was dead against this. But actually, the concept of, like, the, the interesting theme is, like, basically Pikachu stumbles upon this guy who's looking for his dad. And I think he he's, he's either a detective or training to be a detective. And um, everyone can only understand Pokemons by saying their names, right? Hence why they got their names as Pikachu and and Charizard and all that sort of stuff. And it turns out that this guy is basically the Doctor Doolittle of Pokemon, so he can actually hear what Pikachu is saying normally. So Pikachu, when he's talking to this guy, is Ryan Reynolds, and he's he's talking normally, but everyone else can just hear Pikachu going Pika Pika, and it's just there's something really funny about that. And it's just like, oh, no one else can understand me. Oh, I'm so lonely. And it's just there's something so hilarious about the the voice work in this. I also think... 90 minutes hilarious. I think they could pull it off. I think if they get get it right, there's a really funny scene where um, they're interrogating a Pokemon who's a mime. He physically is a mime. He mimes stuff. And and yeah, it's just, it made me smile. It it was very much a charm offensive. Part of me thinks this actually could be kind of R-rated and it could be kind of funny. Um, You know, you think about uh, the puppet murder movie we reviewed a few months back I can't remember what it's called Happy Time Murders um, that was kind of cool and it was R-rated maybe this could have been as well but um, yeah it put a big smile on my face definitely colour me intrigued and uh, yeah I, I can't wait for that one to come out um, anyway moving into TV so Pedro Pascal, you may know him as the guy in Narcos. He's also in Kingsman, The Golden Circle. Um, He has been cast as the lead in the new Star Wars TV show, The Mandolin, which is all about bounty hunters and stuff. He's an amazing actor, and I know a lot of people aren't particularly hyped about this TV show, but this guy is pretty talented. So He's also, John, he was the guy in Game of Thrones who... He become like the most likable guy in three episodes. He got killed by the mountain. Do you remember he was that guy? He's like, "You killed my mother, 
raped her sister and murdered her children. <laughs> that guy. Um, so yeah. yeah, I'm really happy to see him getting work. Oh, he was a great character in Game of Thrones. But um, anyway, while we're speaking about actually about um, Kingsman, uh, it's been announced that Aaron Egerton, the guy in... Um, is it Aaron or is it Taron? I keep getting confused. Anyway, the main guy in Kingsman, he's not going to be in the third film. Uh, reason why is because they're going a completely different story direction. I think it's probably going to be prequel territory if you know what happens in the Golden Circle. But it's interesting that um, those films are going to continue about their main man. But uh, mm. back to Pedro and Game of Thrones land. Did you see the teaser trailer dropped for Game of Thrones final season? I haven't seen that. I'm going to have to check that out. Well, don't don't bother. It's literally just hype. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just it's just a hype trailer. It's just not showing you anything, but it's it's trying to show you everything, but actually shows you nothing. And uh, the only real takeaway is that Game of Thrones is coming back in April 2019. That's that's the, the main gist of this teaser. Um, yeah, there's no there's no giveaways of of what's happening. Obviously, we know it's going to do with with the the what they call the White Walkers coming mm-hmm. over and all that sort of stuff, and obviously the war that's happening and the the Battle of Dragons, which we know is going to be epic. Um, but yeah, I was excited. Although April is a long way away, it's a long way away. But I I think it's right. Don't give anything away, Game of Thrones. Keep it under your hood we don't need to know if you leak you're a bad person <laughs> that's a motto for life <laughs> um, anyway so moving back to, to film so Venom we reviewed a while back and we, we gave it a, a cheerful two <laughs> uh, with the with the review of look it's it's what you expect it to be. Unfortunately, it doesn't go in a complete. It doesn't go full Venom, so it kind of becomes mediocre, and the CGI at the end does make it kind of poor. That being said, Tom Hardy is absolutely incredible. He literally fights for those two stars to make it a two-star film, and uh, we hope to see it uh, taken in an R-rated direction, and maybe a better director could land something cool here. Anyway, what does it, what do, what do critics know? Because at the end of the day, this film has done absolutely amazing at the box office. It has just passed the six hundred million dollar mark worldwide. I think that means we're getting a sequel. I think that means that um, word of mouth has not harmed this in terms of what the critics say, but also the value in the Chinese market. Um, it since it's been in the Chinese market, that is what's propelled upwards. Um, put this in context: Wonder Woman, which everyone says is a cultural milestone for superhero movies, which apparently had legs in terms of went from week to week to week to week to week of earning more and more money. Uh, Venom's only like a hundred, couple of hundred, nearly a hundred and fifty away from meeting Wonder Woman's gross uh, income. That's insane if you consider how many negative reviews Venom's had. It's kind of depressing, isn't it? Crap movies can survive. Uh, I, I think it's a sad uh, state of the times, really. Um, the international market, I, I it just feel like loud big explosions poor story lines will get you by now and it encourages more of it does it and you know i just feel like talk filming to me should have more of a say about what goes into (laughs) your cinema and what gets successful you know are you saying that there should be a people's vote on what goes into the cinema well a talk (laughs) filmy vote yeah yeah well, there we go. Um, I'm actually on the other side of this. I'm actually really happy that Venom's making lots of money because I do get annoyed when when people basically try and slate a film before it's even come out, which is what a lot of people were doing with, with Venom. Yes, okay, it didn't turn out to be that good, but it did not deserve the mauling that a lot of other 
media establishments were giving it. So bully for them. And like I say, I really hope we see that sequel. I just hope we see it with a better director, a better producer and a better story. That being said, well done to all involved. Anyway, just to wrap up news. So Godzilla versus King Kong. Now there's this whole universe of films being made. Uh, the original Godzilla, well, say original, the latest incarnation of Godzilla, which came out, I think, in 2014, uh, completely underutilised Brian Cranston, by the way. I still don't forgive you for giving him such a small role in that. Anyway, um, was quite good, but it's launched a series of films. We had Kong, uh, Skull Island from last year, last year, which I thought was a really good film. The director of that at the moment is currently working on a Metal Gear Solid movie. It's going to be amazing. Um, that being said, let's keep with the King Kong stuff. So uh, there's going to be a sequel to Kong Skull Island as well as Godzilla and uh, the sequel to Godzilla King of Monsters is coming out very very soon 11 from Stranger Things is going to be in this film and it's going to be like her first like film debut which is kind of cool but ultimately it's going to lead to a Godzilla versus King Kong movie and that started production this week uh, John uh, what's your favourite like monster movie favourite monster movie oh well that's a tough one I, I mean Jurassic Park doesn't count does it that's not a monster. Yeah, it's, it can, it, yeah it, can, it can get it. For me, um, the 1998 Godzilla film, just because it had that Jamiroquai soundtrack to it. Yes, actually, Deeper Underground. Oh, that was pretty special, wasn't it? That was a bit of a banger of a tune, weren't it? And the film actually was really good. Um, you know, even though it had like little Godzillas in a stadium trying to look like Velociraptors. But anyway, that aside, um, hopefully they will learn from the past and not repeat with uh, the sequel that's coming out very soon. So anyway, yeah, that's your news for this week. Streaming Gems. Now I want you two to get good rest. What if I have a bad dream? I'm sure we can handle any dream you have. So for the streaming gem this week, uh, we're a little bit late to the party on this one, but that's because we had so much other stuff to do, and I really wanted to give this one out as a streaming gem. Uh, the Haunting of Hill House it is a it's a television series on your Netflix accounts at the moment. It is a reimagining of a classic novel, basically about a haunted house. Uh, spoiler alert. There's about eight episodes. Each episode focuses on a member of a family. So basically... This is a TV show, it's supposed to be a horror. Uh, the gist of this is that a family moves into a house, a bunch of weird shit happens, a haunting happens, and then they, they, they move on with their lives. And a period, of, I think, 20 years passes. And this is just told in such an interesting, intricately beautiful way. There are five children and two parents. Basically, each episode focuses on one particular member of the family both in the past and in the present as well as this intertwining interconnecting story where you learn a little bit more each episode and all of a sudden things start connecting things that happen in episode one start paying off in episode five things that happen in episode three don't make sense until episode four but there's something in episode five which definitely now makes sense knowing what happens in episode two all that sort of stuff. Um, this has had such a long tail in terms of people loving it. It's been directed by a gentleman called Michael Flanagan. Um, he's actually no stranger to Netflix originals. He directed Gerard's Game, uh, the Stephen King adaptation, which we reviewed a while back, saying it's one of the best Netflix originals going. And this guy's you know, name is just getting more and more impressive. So he's directed this TV show and wrote it as well. Um, he's also been given the keys to another Stephen King adaptation that's coming 
Doctor Sleep, which is the stra- which is the sequel to The Shining. Um, you know, you do not get those sort of things given to you unless you are pretty damn good. And this TV show is incredible. It is not jump scary, but it is fucking freaky. It does some great work with the camera. There's something quite interesting about this. So it's about as mentioned, a haunting. I don't want to go into spoiler territory. I really don't want to, to to drop any of the beans on that. But there are some really interesting scenes where they'll have just ghosts just hanging around, just like people just literally sitting in the corner. If you Google uh, Easter egg ghosts in the haunting of Hill House, there's probably about 20 different scenes which you didn't even know you didn't you were just watching a a conversation between two people and there was actually like a person sitting in a wardrobe staring at them or there was someone in the mirror looking at them or just for a split second and it's just that attention to detail and the craftsmanship of this the cast is really good like uh, basically these kids when they've grown up they've had some really shitty troubles as a result of this haunt that's happened one of them has become a drug addict uh, one of them has gone to a complete life of promiscuity. Uh, another one has become a, a funeral home director the other one's become a famous author as a result of writing books about all the stuff they've seen it really does make you question um, about the way you should be telling ghost stories because he's brought a completely new direction to it. Like I said, it doesn't focus on the jump scares. Yes, there are some bits, but this really does work on character development and suspense uh, to the point that even Stephen King has highly recommended this. And for someone like Stephen King to actually give props to this, that shows the high praise of this. Um, yeah, I, I can't give it more praise than that. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I really enjoyed this. Uh, John, I think this is right up your alley, actually. I think if you do find yourself with eight hours worth of Netflix to binge on, this is the one. <laughs> I'm definitely going to get on it, although not tonight because I am staying in an old hotel called the Old Rectory Hotel on my own. And I don't really uh, feel like that's a very good time to start this series by the sounds of it. Because uh, I'll wait till I'm with my wife because I'm a big fat pussy but um yeah no it's it sounds amazing yeah definitely this is a definitely a five star review uh, for this tv show um netflix uh, we've always accused them of having what we call netflix bloat of just adding too many episodes for no reason this was the opposite i wanted more of this and they just fly by and uh, me and my wife both were just like oh, next episode next episode oh my god what happens there and you know how those it's like Breaking Bad had this in terms of they'd always end the episode on such a, a interesting point or a cliffhanger or something just unveiling that you had the hit play to watch that next episode. Hill House does that to to an amazing degree, and uh, it it does go into the world of the supernatural. It it handholds you into it. It takes you through uh, lots of things which you could start to explain in other circumstances. But obviously, by its conclusion, um, it's taking you really through that journey. Like I say, the cast is absolutely fantastic. Uh, I think, you know, you watch a TV show where all of a sudden the main cast goes off to go have amazing film careers. You think of, like, obviously Friends, but you think about stuff like Community in recent years, uh, Parks and Recreation, obviously more comedy-based, but I think a bunch of big acting careers are going to be launched as a result of this TV show if not at least the director. The director's going on some pretty awesome stuff already. So, so yeah, highly recommend it. Five out of five. You don't have to worry now, sweetie. That really bad dream? Of course I'd wake you. Uh, 
for this week for the feature i thought given that uh, pre-production has just started on godzilla versus king kong that led me to think what awesome versus movies or just just uh i suppose let's just call it universes colliding of uh, some of cinema's best properties obviously sometimes it's worked out amazingly uh, i'm struggling to think of the ones that have worked out amazingly so far but then you get stuff like batman v superman aliens versus predator freddy v jason you know it goes on and on and on but um, i was thinking okay what are some of my beloved things and i put the i put the challenge out to john to think of some as well and i, I put it up on twitter and we've had a couple of tweets as well so i thought we'll just chew the fat on them filmy style as always and see what the sort of comes up from that so I'm going to go a bit left field off the bat, John. Mm -hmm. All right. So, do you remember Lord of the Rings? I think I remember a film by the name of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember in the second film where the king had to go and convince an undead army to basically come fight with him? Yeah, Twin Towers, wasn't it? Yeah, big epic battle. Love that. Big epic, yeah, right. Now, wouldn't you love to see a world where it's that army versus the fucking Ghostbusters? (laughs) Just four of them. I'm talking the, the 1983 original lineup, you know. No offense to the, the 2016 <laughs> lot, but, but I'm all about the OG Ghostbusters. Like, I think that would just be absolutely incredible. It would be funny. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, I'd love to see that. That's quite a mashup, Flinny. That is quite a mashup. But, uh, but thinking more about sort of like the classic, I mean, I don't have this counts. It was a classic 80s video game, uh, but it was never made into a film. Unlike Aliens vs. Predator, which started life as a video game and then was made into the film, which the first one was okay, but the second one was... And uh, yeah, it kind of kind of nearly killed both those franchises. But get this concept right. I'm just going to say one word. Terminator versus Robocop. I'm amazed that that wasn't a film. Surely that's been done. It hasn't, has it? No. No, no, it's just been a video game, like a, a NES video game, and that and that was it. Really, I mean, I have no idea how they would they would intertwine those storylines, but but that would be that would be kind of cool. Um, so let's go, let's go look at some some of the tweets that are coming from some users. So this is from the Easy Riders Raging podcast. Hey guys, by the way, love your your stuff. Um, this is pretty fucking cool. So imagine a film where it's Deckard from Blade Runner uh, going up against classic movie robots, but stuff like. Wooly, <laughs> Johnny Five, <laughs> and the teddy bear from AI. I mean, that's a. I mean, do we go with do we go with Deckard, Blade Runner now? Oh, sorry, Blade Runner original or Blade Runner twenty forty nine? Because I like to think that a wildly Harrison Ford who's trains the the robot dogs might might help him out a bit more there. I would watch an hour and a half of him just kicking the shit out of helpless little uh, adorable robots for. Yeah, I think that has comic legs. That's a good good suggestion. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, like I say, I could watch that film all day, and I'd love to see someone beat the shit out of Johnny. <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a bit left field now. So, even lefter. Who's the ultimate. Even lefter. Who's the ultimate like film detective for you? Film detective. Oh. Yeah, like who's the ultimate like detective really? Well, Sherlock is the one that comes to mind. Yeah, of course, right, right. What's the ultimate murder thriller that you've seen in your lifetime? Ultimate murder thriller. Seven? There we go, John. Sherlock Holmes <laughs> in the universe of seven, tracking down the seven deadly sins. Oh, we could, you could modernise it, right, and have like a modern Sherlock Holmes, which is basically house. <laughs> or 
you could do the whole like seven deadly scenes thing happening in Victorian London. It, it writes itself. That's pretty fucking cool. And, what, and Kevin Spacey doesn't get away with it this time, right? Because Sherlock's too badass for him. And and Spacey gets his just desserts. I see. I see what you've done there. I like it. Nah, nice, nice, nice. So this is one that I, I think is actually uh, another... I'm trying to keep it left field. I don't want to just <laughs> obvious versus, versus Okay. Um, like, Frost Nixon... Love, love it. Great, great, amazing film, mm-hmm. right? So it's obviously about two uh, two titans facing off against each other in an interview <laughs> format. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you ever seen the film The Interview? Uh, yeah. You watch Seth Rogen? Yeah. Right. Uh, yep, yeah, and James Franco. James Franco's character, Dave Skylark, who I think actually is really underrated. as I think that's such a fucking funny film. Um, him interviewing Borat. What? Nixon interviewing Borat? No, 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 not Nixon. Dave Skylark, as in James Franco's character in the film The Interview, interviewing Borat. Oh, I see. I, I thought you were going, like, Borat interviewing Nixon, which sounds amazing for me. Would equally <laughs> I could watch an hour and a half of that. I could watch Borat interview anyone, but I think that one would be quite amazing actually your film sounds a lot fucking better Borat versus Nixon (laughs) well that would be incredible we all know the best one has already been made for me and that is of course underrated B-movie Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus (laughs) have you seen this movie I was thinking what happened I, I have, and I was thinking maybe they do a do they they mash that up with uh, well it's, it's kind of all the same world, right? The Meg versus Sharknado, <laughs> like, you know the, the giant shark versus a tornado of sharks. If you're going down the going down the B movie route, but um, here's another one to, to to spin your head a bit. So Dexter, I'm going TV mixing with film. Mm-hmm. All right, Dexter catching Patrick Bateman, the American Psycho. Oh, I like it. Dexter... I'd watch that all day. Yeah. De- some sort of crossover where Dexter finds famous serial killers that from films. That would be pretty cool. I was trying to think of uh, putting all of Tom Hanks's movies like in a line, a succession, and make this really self-aggrandizing ridiculous movie where all his characters somehow intertwine in some terrible mashup uh or you could have like some fucked up timeline of jack ryan's because you could have ben affleck harrison ford chris pine steve kristansky <laughs> like is that all the jacks I think I've got all the jacks. Yeah, just all of them somehow having a jack off. <laughs> <laughs> they could call it jack off. That would be jack off. The Tom Clancy verse. I do well speaking, in China. Speaking of, you... <laughs> speaking of 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 shared movie universes, then let's let's go into that for a bit. I feel like there's a Tarantino crossover universe. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Where like like the the Reservoir Dog somehow links into Pulp Fiction in a way that Jackie Brown ties in and yeah or like you know go down the more western side of things with Tarantino obviously towards the the later side of things he's got the he's got um Django Unchained and uh, the Hateful Eight there's probably a tie in there as well but we could make Winston Wolf like the 
the connecting tissue between all these universes. That'd be kind of interesting. <laughs> kind of cool. What about a village? Do you remember the village, the film with a big twist where they're actually in the present day M. Night Shyamalan classic? What if you had yes. yeah, yeah. some sort of Django? You think it's set in those times, and then he just rocks up present day, and Reservoir Dogs are getting ready to do their heist, and then um, they haven't thought that one through properly. But there's something there. <laughs> there's, maybe there's like a, a fucked up Tarantino Westworld situation going on where people are part of a simulation. Yes, and uh, I don't know. Tarantino hasn't done futuristic, has he? I feel like no, that would be so interesting. Maybe it's not for him. Well, it's it's interesting you say that because he's actually penning a Star Trek movie at the moment. Um, they they kind of have no idea what they're doing with the Star Trek universe, and Quentin Tarantino is a massive fan. And he's asked to to be involved, so it'd be interesting because he's only got two films left. Cause he says he wants to do ten films and then retire, which I don't think he'll do. But obviously, he's got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood coming out, being made. That's in the can near enough. So, um, yeah, he's only got one film left to do, and I'd like to see him go into that that sci-fi world. I was thinking a bit more outside the box, and I'm sure other people have come up with this, but interconnecting every Pixar movie. Do you know what? If Pixar one day turned around and was like, guys, we put an Easter egg in every movie that connects them all in some sort of genius way, you wouldn't be surprised, would you? I've had an attempt at trying to connect all these together. So this is just me spitballing this. So let me know your thoughts on this, right? So first, A Bug's Life happens in Andy's garden in Toy Story, right? Bo is actually Andy's baby sister in Toy Story 2 and and whatnot. So that's how you intertwine in the Monsters, Inc. stuff, right? Um, Andy lives in a small little suburban village which is just outside a massive city where the Incredibles are are saving the world and he sees the Incredibles on TV and gets inspired by Mr Incredible driving around in his car and he goes back and plays with his toys and he's got a set of toy cars that he loves and actually the entire franchise of cars is basically just Andy's imagination of playing around with cars after being inspired from that but um as he gets older, he's encouraged to recycle more because the world's turning to shit, as it does eventually in Wally, and decides to donate his toys to a worthy cause, as he does in Toy Story 3 when he's old enough. And uh, it turns out that little girl who gets the toys from Toy Story 3 onwards, she, you know, at school as well, is doing a pen pal project where she's got a little pen pal called Miguel in Mexico, in Coco, who she, she reaches out to in that way as well. And the one thing I've got in common is they both really love reading about this Scottish story about a young girl um, uh, in medieval Scotland, and it's basically brave. And uh, I'm still trying to, to spit more way of getting in. Um, inside out but I think that I think I've done it John I think I've unlocked the Pixar universe I think you've somehow done it Flinny you've uncovered the greatest conspiracy in all of animated history <laughs> well done you've got quite an imagination I think your imagination's been in, increased since you've become a dad as well this must be something about having a baby. Yeah, it's like, uh, no, just, just play with your toys. Um, <laughs> but obviously, then there's then there's uh, like some basic ones, which I think will be a fucking good crossover. So Lorraine Bowton, um, Atomic Blonde, her versus John Wick. I think that'd be fucking epic. Yeah, liking that. Obviously, uh, I've got to, I've got to somehow put in Bruce Campbell in this. So 
Ash basically just being in the world of 28 Days Later. So Evil Dead meets 28 Days Later would be would be quite epic. Um, they're the ones that, that I've got. Is there any other ones, John, that are jumping out at you? Well, combining the sort of Cornetto trilogy with Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, somehow intertwining those three movies or those three universes would be kind of cool. And you feel like that would be the sort of thing they could pull off as well. I don't know how you would do it, but they're all of similar style. I think that would be very cool. But um, Yeah, that would be pretty fucking epic. I think, yeah, I'm all for the stupid. I'm all for the ridiculous. So the more ridiculous, the better. Boris versus Nixon. I'm make, Someone make it. Make it happen. You heard it here first. Make it happen. Well, what do you think? Uh, is there any particular mashups of films that you think would make interesting on screen? Or what films all of a sudden you can interconnect into an interesting movie universe? Look, let us know at Talk Filming to Me. And if you think some of our ideas are shit, then then critique them as well. It'll be interesting to see, see some of these ideas taken and moulded a little bit more. Get in contact on Twitter at Talk Filming to Me. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to this as much as we've enjoyed making it, please click on the like, subscribe, follow, whatever button it is that means that you get more content from Talk Filming to me i want to thank my boy john how can people find you you can find me at descamento on the wonderful twitter and if you've enjoyed this podcast please leave a comment in the section below we do listen to everything everyone says we do take the feedback on board obviously the more people that like the more people that subscribe the more comments we get the more opportunities we get in terms of film screenings and stuff to give away and and all that good stuff that comes out hopefully growing this sort of thing anyway till next time stay filming Talk filmy to me.